0: It's Thanksgiving, and today, we're celebrating with a walk down memory lane. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the H-A-N show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news education on location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. In 2020, we dedicated our Thanksgiving special to Robbie Laprie who had recently passed. Most haunts weren't able to open at that time and the vaccines weren't even a thing. While things are moving ahead in the US, many haunts saw dips in attendance this year and we're still dealing with supply chain prices and a bunch of other stuff. So today, I'm replaying our 2020 special, a celebration of Robbie LaPree. Listen and reflect on where we were, where we are and where we're going. This special is pretty different from what we do nowadays. (laughs) It's pretty long. It's actually presented in four parts. Some of these are audio and a lot of them are presentations and essays. So here we go. Part one, Remembering Robbie, Lessons Learned from a Reluctant Haunter. Written and performed by Scott Swenson. Happy Thanksgiving. The entertainment industry has been devastated by this pandemic and we're not out of the woods yet, but today, let's pause and reflect on what we're thankful for, on all the community and connections that keep us going. I'm thankful for the connection that I had with Robbie Laprie, and I often think of how she would have handled these hardships. And so I want to share that with you. Today's 2020 Thanksgiving special is dedicated to Robbie Laprie, and presented in four parts. You'll hear articles, stories, and you'll even hear from Robbie herself. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our 2020 Thanksgiving special. I hope it helps you weather the storm and remember to lean into your connections. Part one, Selected Work. Issues 27 of Seasonal Entertainment Source Magazine was dedicated to Robbie. And as the editor of that magazine, I've chosen three articles to play for you today. Each article demonstrates the impact that Robbie had through her connections. Seasonal Entertainment Source Magazine Issue 27, from the editor. We are making history. We are amid a crucible, and on the other side of that crucible, the shape of our social rituals, our healthcare, our education, and work are all unknown. We will be measured both as an industry and as individuals on our ability to dare greatly. Our collective attitude, the choice we have to strive every day, will shape the future. I have to admit, I'm not known for having the best attitude, so I often lean on others for inspiration. And Robbie Lepree, her attitude was always an inspiration to me. Her strength of character, her willingness to adapt, and unwavering positivity will remain with me forever. While her passing amidst this pandemic is a massive loss for the entertainment industry, her spirit continues to guide us. I dedicate this issue to Robbie Lepree. It is a celebration of her career meant to inspire you. Robbie's legacy is the community that she affected. Every author selected for this issue was connected to Robbie, and her legacy shines through on every page. We have an extraordinary journey ahead of us still. When your attitude flags, when you come up short, or when you face loss, let Robbie help you back up. Sincerely, Philip Hernandez, editor in chief of Seasonal Entertainment Source Magazine and CEO of Gantam Lighting and Controls.
1: Remembering Robbie. Lessons Learned from a Reluctant Haunter by Scott Swenson For over 25 years, I was lucky enough to have Robbie Laprie as part of my life. She played many roles. She was my mentor, my boss, my co-worker, my friend, and always my inspiration. When Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida, assigned me to be part of a three-person team to create and install an autumn shoulder season event, Robbie was there as the rock that helped the team transform our crazy nightmares into reality. Thus, Howl a Scream was born. Robbie was the director of theatrical services when the event first opened in 2000. This made her the perfect candidate. Well, the only candidate to be the technical director of the event. As with every project she ever worked on, she dove in with both feet. The thing that most people don't know is that she wasn't into the whole haunted attraction thing. She was more interested in the beauty and spectacle of the circus or the shimmering lights of the winter holidays. Her desire and ability to create exceptional guest experiences, however, led her reluctantly into the world of scaring people. Her support and expertise helped lay the groundwork for an event that continues to be successful today. Since her passing earlier this year, I've been sifting through memories and moments we shared. In doing so, I've discovered the significant impact knowing her has made on my life. After taking a bit of intellectual and emotional inventory, here are some of the lessons I learned from Robbie Laprie. Lesson 1. Know Your Stuff Robbie was a repository of useful knowledge, especially focused on but not limited to, the technical elements needed to create shows and attractions. She could compile and keep vast amounts of information, most of which she stored in her brain. She was always able and willing to share the most up-to-date information about the latest lighting fixture or control system. The information she didn't store in her incredible memory, she kept on bookshelves in her office, and boxes, and piles by her desk. At first glance, it resembled an episode of a reality television program about hoarders. The only difference was, she knew where everything was. Members of the Bush Gardens Entertainment staff would walk into Robbie's office, the door was always open, and ask something like, Do you still have the catalog from the vendor who visited us on property in June? She'd pause for a moment, and then direct you to the appropriate pile, box, or shelf. I can even recall some instances when she would respond with, You mean the one with the cool lighting fixture? Then, as if by magic, she'd pull the catalog from behind her desk, opening it to the exact page you needed. Another impressive skill was her ability to reimagine uses for existing products and technology. If we were running tight on budget and time, which never happens in the haunted attraction industry, and we needed a cost-effective quick fix... Robbie was there. She'd recall something from an online forum, late-night infomercial, or even from a long-forgotten corner of the warehouse that we could repurpose to solve our dilemma. She embodied the Apple computer mantra from a few years back, think different. Robbie took great pride in staying up-to-date on the products and the evolving best practices that surrounded the entertainment industry. This desire wasn't so she could show off. It was so that she could help anyone in need. And that leads to Lesson 2. Lesson 2. Help Anyone in Need If you want to lift yourself up, lift up someone else. While I don't remember Robbie ever saying this Booker T. Washington quote, I remember her living it. This was true in both business and personal situations. Robbie championed the underdog. She supported countless elements of the attractions and entertainment industry without recognition. Many podcasters and bloggers got their first media access granted by Robbie. There are independent haunts that reaped the bounty of her knowledge, which led to greater or accelerated success. She would do anything she could to elevate the industry and those who worked in it. She genuinely believed that when the tide comes in, all ships rise. Robbie's desire to help extended into her personal life as well. Robbie was at my father's funeral several years ago. After the funeral, Robbie came to my mother's house and without hesitation laid out sandwiches and drinks for the gathering well-wishers. She'd only met my parents a few times, but this didn't matter. She was there to help when we needed it. Robbie identified a way to contribute and executed it without expectation of recognition. If you talk to anyone who knew Robbie, chances are excellent that they will have similar stories of unconditional kindness. Lesson 3. Make Memories with Everyone I attended many conventions and trade shows with Robbie. I'd often get frustrated trying to make my way through the exhibit floor with her because everyone knew Robbie. It wasn't just that they knew who she was. They knew her. And she knew them. By name. After a couple of years, my frustration gave way to resignation and eventually to admiration. She approached everyone without prejudice or preconceived intentions. By going into conversations as an open book, both parties could write a new chapter together. This made her memorable. I admit, I first thought this took too much time, especially in a trade show setting. But now I see how efficient this approach is. Instead of racing around tossing her business card at everyone, she focused on fostering genuine connections. Her infectious smile and her twinkling eyes only cemented that memory into deep storage. This meant that at the next convention, both parties were already friends, and all they needed to do was reinforce that bond. Robbie made everyone feel like they were the most important person in the room. Colleagues flood social media with examples— starting with lines like, I only met her once, but she was so kind, or she really listened to me when I told her. She made people feel validated. This validation applied to her work partners as well. When Robbie was my immediate boss, sometimes she needed to redirect my behavior, which means, chew me out because I screwed up. Her approach, however, didn't leave me feeling beaten down, but inspired to do better. The counseling sessions focused on listening to me and offering options that might have been better choices rather than pointing out my wrongdoing. This selfless and effective approach created a team that wanted to do the best and live up to her expectations. Lesson four, be a lifelong learner. Robbie loved attending seminars, workshops and classes. Sometimes she was a presenter or panelist and other times a student in the audience. She attended seminars on topics that she had the qualifications to teach, just so she could hear how someone else presented the information. She believed that if she could gather one or two pieces of information, or fresh ways to share a concept, the seminar was worth her time. I always loved seeing Robbie in the audience when I was presenting. I knew it guaranteed me two things. A smiling face who was genuinely interested in the topic, and brilliant questions that would promote discussion after the class. In the last few years, Robbie's mobility and vision issues made it more and more difficult for her to travel, but she still tried to get where she needed to go. In 2018, several of us decided to put together a fundraiser to help with her mounting medical bills. Since education was so important to Robbie, we chose to make it three panel discussions with theme park and haunted attraction experts. The event was called Robbie Ween. One participant told us she learned more in that one afternoon than her last year of university-level hospitality training. The first panel, led by Brian Morrow of B. Morrow Productions, discussed the creation and installation of rides and attractions with some of theme park's most influential players. The second was a panel filled with the creative geniuses, past and present, behind Universal Florida's Halloween Horror Nights. This panel included Michael Roddy, Kim Grommel, and Mike Aiello, among others. I got to facilitate the third panel, which was made up of key players who put Hollow Scream together in Tampa over the first 15 years, including such names as Joe Mertz, Rob Anderson, Keith Kaminsky, and others. Despite all of these amazing panelists, the real moments of joy were when Robbie stood up to address the audience before each presentation. Her smile lit up the room, and her commitment to sharing and gathering knowledge shone like a beacon. Between seminars, she spent her time doing what she did so well, meeting old friends and mentoring new ones. It was a very special day. When Robbie's health declined and she wasn't able to be as active in the attractions industry, she continued to educate by forming iInsights, LLC. This consulting company allowed her to use her theme park experience and her failing eyesight to improve guest experience For disabled visitors at attractions and businesses. Lesson 5. Don't Settle for Less In the early days of Hollow Scream, seeing upper management team members working until the wee hours of the morning was common. Robbie was no exception. I remember one night, early morning, coming across her and one technician sitting at a picnic table, cutting new gels for one haunt. We thought, that had been done already. So we asked her what happened. She calmly said, The color wasn't right. This one will be better. So we all sat down to join in the regelling project. This is a perfect example of a phrase coined by my former boss, Elaine College. The difference between a good show and a great show is attention to detail. Robbie always looked for ways to enhance the show, even after opening. She attended nearly every night of Howl Scream For the first 18 years. Often, she and her team would make alterations between the time the park cleared at 3 a.m. and the time the park reopened to the day guests at 10 a.m. She never settled for less. This commitment to excellence assured that Hollow Scream, or any other project that Robbie worked on, got the most out of its budget and resources. I'm sure you notice that these lessons are not haunt-specific, or theme park-specific, or even entertainment-specific. They're just good suggestions for being a good person. Robbie Lepree was a good person. I mentioned at the beginning of this article that Robbie was reluctant to join the haunt community, and yet she became an icon within it. Why would a reluctant haunter be named Haunted Attractions 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award winner? Why did she continue to share her knowledge and passion to every haunt convention she could attend? Why did she become so committed to haunters and the haunt industry? When asked, why, Robbie would answer, because haunters are good people. No matter how creepy they look on the outside, they'll stand up for each other. They'll include each other. They're just good people. Why did I write this? Working with Robbie for so many years, I saw how special she was. She was a force of nature. She was an intense light on this planet. Because that light has been extinguished too soon, it's important for all of us to carry even the smallest flicker of her light forward. Use that flicker to light more candles. There's no greater tribute than to have made a difference. I know our friend Robbie made a difference. And now... You do, too.
2: Stepping through life as an entertainment leader, I find myself carving out more time for self-reflection. During these moments, I focus on three areas. Past successes, moments of opportunity, and the people who taught me how to elevate as a person and a leader. A person I often think of in this regard is the one, the only, the Queen of Jovial Smiles, Robbie Lepree. Why, you ask? I had the fortunate pleasure to collaborate, work, and learn with Robbie as peers when we served as technical directors for SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment. We also served several years together on the IAAPA Entertainment Committee. Time spent with Robbie always included tons of laughter, tech talk, friendly debate, and life lessons. When Philip Hernandez asked if I would be willing to share some lessons learned from Robbie, I was humbled and moved. Today I am deeply honored to share and celebrate the life of Robbie Laprie by what I call Laprieisms. You are only as good as what you learn and implement from others around you. While chairing the IAAPA Entertainment Committee, Robbie would facilitate an entertainment breakout session at the International Expo. This forum was created as an outlet for industry and non-industry attendees to share, network and discuss a variety of entertainment topics. During my first year on the committee, I recall Robbie standing up to welcome everyone to the breakout session. As she walked through the goals of the session, she shared the excitement with the team by voicing this belief, you are only as good as what you learn and implement from others around you. She pointed out that the forum was an opportunity for all of us to leave feeling inspired and to take the next project we work on to the next level. When I asked her to talk more about that statement one night over dinner during the expo, she told me that if we didn't learn from innovators what to do and what not to do, we wouldn't be where we are today. Without Walt, there would be no Disneyland. Without a team, there would be no entertainment and theme parks. She shared with me her belief that when you're inspired by someone's idea, a new idea will be sparked. Robbie's caveat, which is also my first Lepreism takeaway, Was ensuring that as you innovate and create, you don't forget to pay homage to those who started the tradition, welcome and embrace those who share ideas, and thank those who take the idea to the next stage. I'd often hear Robbie compliment someone else's work. She would share with the group of collaborators about how she enhanced an idea and then gave credit to the original stakeholder or celebrate the technician or stage manager who solved a problem creatively, stating, We need to adopt that process. Robbie also loved receiving credit for projects, no different than any other human being. But she would always tie into those moments by giving credit to those who helped her and pay homage to those who inspired her to one-up an idea. People and acts of kindness add value to what we do. In 2009, Simon Sinek, a self-described unshakable optimist, created a TED Talk titled, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. During his talk, He revealed an idea he codified called the Golden Circle, which explains why some leaders can inspire where others cannot. Sinek explained that very few leaders understand why they do things and have limited connection to their purpose for leading people. This leaves the consumer less inspired because they look at what they're buying rather than why they're buying it. According to Sinek, people don't buy what you do, they buy what you believe. Taking Sinek's theory and connecting Robbie to it she had a great understanding of her why. Robbie believed in working for people and not for a paycheck. Deeply rooted in her mind was the belief that motivation is created by honoring, celebrating, and learning from people. Robbie was people driven first, and results came second. This is what Sinek would consider a byproduct of the why. During one roundtable session at IAAPA, the topic of leadership and productivity came up for discussion. A conversation about how to increase productivity led to a debate between a manager and a leader, and which drove results. Robbie chimed in and voiced a very cynic opinion by stating that she found the best productivity results when people are inspired and know why they're doing something. As a leader, Robbie felt it was natural to give instruction, but she would support the instruction by being in the field, and getting the team engaged in quick moments of random fun photos or giving out popsicles on a hot day. Spending time with Robbie, you learn that motivation in her life came from every interaction with people. Robbie was inspired to work hard each day to create moments that mattered for others. She would do the silliest of things, but these things stuck with you forever. For example, anyone who came to visit her bush gardens Tampa would never leave the park without photos either tagged on social media or as hard copies of zombies chewing on their face. The value she found in creating didn't exist until she had the chance to see those around her engage in the product through experience or execution. These acts of kindness and celebrating people were her fuel. Whether she knew it or not, her actions inspired those around her. Sinek stated later in his TED Talk, There are leaders, and there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or authority, but those who lead inspire us. This brings me to my second Lepreism takeaway, which is this. When you have a better understanding of your why, your ability to inspire, change, motivate people, and gain personal fulfillment enhances tenfold. Two radios are better than one. If you ever had the opportunity to visit Robbie during a hollow scream adventure, You might have seen her strapped up like a soldier going to war. On her left shoulder pad was a radio biscuit. On her right shoulder pad was another radio biscuit. Curled cords formed an X-shape across her back. Clipped to her stage manager purse were two Motorola radio batteries as spares. She was a 5-foot, 1-inch Rambo sidekick with curly red hair, ready to take on hollow scream operations. While I was at Legoland Florida Resort as technical manager, Robbie invited a group of colleagues and me for a hollow scream night of terror. I recall one moment that evening where I busted Robbie's chops for her two radios. In true Robbie fashion, my joke was met with a serious response. Robbie preached to me about the value of being prepared, having contingency plans, and being engaged in everything that was going on. Robbie told me that well-designed standard operating procedures and training and empowering those in the field are what kept a bad situation from escalating out of control. An hour into our journey, a situation arose in a maze in which a performer required immediate medical attention. As the group walked with Robbie out of the show called Fiends, a call came over the radio. Seamlessly, Robbie whipped out her cell phone, keyed in one radio while copying the other radio, and verbalized radio codes that Tom Hanks wouldn't even be able to decode. She led us in the direction of the maze where the incident occurred. As we walked up to the exit, the stage manager met us, standing with her prompt and standard operating procedures book. She provided Robbie with the download of the event. A few minutes later, the maze reopened. Robbie high-fived the stage manager and asked her to tell the team it did an excellent job of executing the safety plan. My joke about the radios became a different reality when Robbie turned to me and said, See, two radios are better than one. Jeremy, you can never be overprepared. It was a great lesson for me and leads to my third Lepreism takeaway. When I walk into a routine meeting or creative development brainstorming session, I now challenge the team on the following. Have we done our due diligence of back-end preparations to cover all scenarios? Some examples are, what's our two-person show contingency if a performer gets injured? If our trust pick-point fails, what safeguards do we have in place? I'm inspired by Robbie's preparation, which I always felt was over the top, until it wasn't. Until you understand the bull sitting across from you is just as passionate as you are, only then will listening occur and the best ideas be discovered through collaboration. The final apriism has probably been the most impactful for me in my career. In one of our touch-based phone calls, I asked Robbie for some advice regarding a current event. A few words were shared back and forth, and then out came this statement. Until you understand the bull sitting across from you is just as passionate as you, only then will listening occur and the best ideas will be discovered through collaboration. I thought for a moment and said to myself, What the heck are you talking about? Fast forward a few years later. I found myself in a similar scenario sitting with peers at a senior leadership roundtable. A debate began, and discussion progressed. I felt the tension in the room increase as well as my own blood pressure. I paused for a moment when a peer challenged me, took a breath, and out of my mouth came the words, You know, it excites me to see the passion in this room. But I'm only hearing myself, but not everyone else. Does anyone else feel that way too? I chose those words because I recalled previous conversations with Robbie at a seminar I attended in which I heard Guy Klumpner, Chief Development Officer of Holt Caterpillar in Texas, say, The only person you can change is you. When I shared those words at the table, the environment in the room shifted, and we agreed we weren't listening to each other. One leader suggested starting the conversation over in reverse formulation, and within a matter of minutes, a resolution was formed. I never had the opportunity to share this experience with Robbie, but whenever it comes to mind, I also think Robbie's words of wisdom. Robbie knew that everyone she worked with was passionate, Passion is native to human beings, but Robbie understood that when your passion is questioned or attacked, you either shut down, attack back, or take the higher road and acknowledge it by changing yourself and really listening to someone else. Putting aside your own pride will advance you forward to the greater good. Which brings me to my wrap-up and final Lepreism. When you value people as much as Robbie Lapre did, you need to also value that you control only you. Looking at Robbie, it's clear her inner why was all about people. Every person I've spoken with who knew Robbie commented on her wisdom, knowledge, hospitality, love of Halloween, and advocacy for all things entertainment. She welcomed people into her family and knew no strangers. Robbie hugged everybody. A handshake was a rare greeting. Robbie would be the first to tell you she didn't get all things right. And that's okay because Robbie knew people as human beings, not perfect beings. For her to have touched the lives of so many of us, she must have been doing something right. For that, her legacy will forever carry on, as each of us pays forward the inspiration she shared with us all. Jeremy Pankost, Director of Entertainment, Legoland Florida Resort. The Future of Immersive Entertainment
3: in the Post-Pandemic World Strategies for How Immersive Entertainment Can Hit the Ground Running After COVID-19 by Sarah Elger and Ricky Briganti. Preface, a thank you to Robbie. It's impossible to imagine the immersive entertainment industry without the tremendous leadership, impact, and tireless devotion of Robbie Laprie. Robbie always championed new ways of thinking and supported those who went out on a limb to try to create something new, even if that limb was almost certainly bound to break. Creators and innovators throughout the industry could always count on her for not just insight and advice, but a thoughtful and caring ear from someone who was always open to listening. Even with the eerie confines of the haunt world, Robbie's vision and intuition for inventive entertainment allowed her to see how different types of entertainment really connect and overlap, stretching out beyond the scope of haunts to bring together elements truly unexpected experiences.
4: Long before there are today's budding forms of immersive entertainment, Robbie had the ability to be a support system, be positive, encourage people, and help guide even the craziest of ideas. She was a fearless woman who could so effortlessly instill confidence in any creator trying some wild new concept. Robbie also always made a point to support the efforts of independent observers, documentarians, and reporters of the industry. Those who did not lend a direct hand in creating works, but offered outside perspective for designers who were too far in the weeds to see the big picture of what their efforts really meant as a whole. Her spirit lives on through this industry. The following report is dedicated to her legacy, offering a snapshot of today's most remarkable entertainment experiences and incredible future and power that that it holds.
3: The Report. As published in the 2019 Immersive Design Industry Annual Report, the market value across the whole immersive industry grew over 2018. Tremendous growth fueled this in certain segments, including themed entertainment, including haunted attractions, VR, and AR. This article discusses the direction of themed attractions and other immersive forms of entertainment as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. In a post-social distancing world, people will be eager to resume attending their favorite events and attractions. Many in the industry are wondering at what pace this will happen and what we can do now to prepare. The consensus among many leaders in the industry is that now, during this period of closures and social distancing, it's time for organizations and individuals in themed entertainment to pivot and create.
4: Take advantage of the upward trend of the immersive themed entertainment industry. Each industry has a life cycle, and newcomers to the immersive entertainment industry are very much in the introductory phase. Newer parts of this industry are still figuring out products, innovating, and rightfully failing along the way. While theme parks, haunted attractions, and escape rooms are more established, newer entertainment categories like immersive theater, VR, LBE, and AR are not focused on competition or even necessarily making money right now. It's time for development. And creating innovative products so that when solid models emerge we're ready to take that and move forward the coronavirus will affect this process but overall the trend is upward for innovation in this industry for example in the immersive design industry annual report found at least that the industry created 775 new immersive projects in 2019. many companies have moved physical experiences to digital which is likely to continue in the post-pandemic world. Immersive experiences have been created by telephone, via email, text messages, custom apps, web-based, 360 video, social media, webcam, and streaming video. There are many ways of creating an experience, and we've just begun. What would it be like to take a step into a haunted house that lived online or on your phone? This is the kind of question we need to be asking to scale up intimate experiences for worldwide audiences.
3: The themed entertainment industry must address four key factors to move forward. We must address several items to improve the immersive entertainment industry, define and implement success metrics, create alternative business models, evaluate pricing, and develop standardized nomenclature. Success metrics. Success metrics vary by company, but include creative achievement, financial gain, social impact, and customer satisfaction. Right now, everyone in the industry defines success in their own way. The annual report found that there was almost equal weight put on each of these different success metrics, but not every area of the industry emphasized the same ones. Many in the industry, in particular immersive theater, lean more toward creative achievement as their highest metric of success. We view defining what the product is and understanding what customers want as the means to create a more sustainable model.
4: Alternative business models. Among the trends noted in the annual report were the emergence of alternative business models for the Halloween season. Many haunted attractions have been incorporating other sectors of the industry like immersive theater, alternate reality games, live action role playing, themed bars, experiential marketing, or interactive art museums to create both real life and online content. There are many areas in the immersive entertainment industry that haunt creators can look at for ideas and inspiration. This is the perfect time to focus on how you can innovate and grow.
3: Pricing. How much is an experience worth? It often takes years of trial and error for an organization to figure out how much an experience is worth and how much people will pay for a ticket. Every industry has its own price points, which change over the years. Looking at trends in new type of immersive experiences, there's a spike at about $50, which is the average price paid for experiences. Now, this is a a lot higher than most haunted attractions charge, but as we see experiences cater to smaller audiences, the value of those experiences increases, as does what people will pay. It's possible to achieve the same revenue from smaller audiences with immersive entertainment offerings tailored toward more personal attention. People's expectations jump when you hit those price points. For anything above $50, consumer expectations increase exponentially. Beyond the $50 mark, there must be an extra level of polish for every $10 added. We're being tasked right now with creating experiences for smaller audiences that are more elaborate and polished, and for which we can charge more as long as we deliver quality.
4: The need for standardized nomenclature... As novel forms of immersive entertainment continue to emerge, there is a need for systems that provides customers with an understanding of what they're buying a ticket to. It's important to define what the term immersive means for a particular attraction or event. In our definition, an immersive experience is one that enhances or otherwise changes how the real world is perceived or interacted with, to allow audiences to have the perception of being present in a world that somehow differs from the everyday. It's being surrounded by a fictional reality different from our own. They may achieve this through technology or theatrics. However, these days, the term is frequently used in marketing for everything from a solo independent artist to a giant theme park, and it's often hard to tell the difference from marketing alone. When we all use the same terminology and the same marketing language, it confuses customers. They may expect an experience to be huge, special effects-filled, Marvel-level movie, when it's something much simpler. It's not enough to slap the word immersive on a haunted house and then charge $75. The word alone conveys nothing in particular and it's been overused and misused. The industry needs to develop specific nomenclature so our audiences know what to expect. The annual report offers the beginning of a standardized system by which we can name new experiences for better customer understanding. But it will be an ongoing process for creators worldwide to adopt any singular naming convention.
3: Categorize your attraction. The immersive entertainment industry would also benefit from implementing four categories by which to define events. Level of interaction, age appropriateness, type and definition of work, and size of team and nature of funding. Level of interaction. As immersive experiences become more intimate, people want and need to know the level of interaction that any event or, of, or attraction. For example, in a haunt, Some people are not okay at all with being approached and touched, and the level of blood and gore is a factor. You don't want guests to be traumatized on one hand because of the display of blood and violence, or disappointed on the other because your haunted house wasn't gruesome enough for their liking. It's almost impossible to go overboard on making your guests aware of the level of interaction they can expect. This should be in every aspect of your marketing, on your website, on the ticket booth, everywhere. Don't worry about spoilers. It's important for guests to know what they're stepping into.
4: Age appropriateness. As with video games, designing the age appropriateness of your event or attraction is important. For example, a label of E could mean, it's easy and appropriate for everyone. You could have a rating of T for teen and M for mature. Much of the content out there should be for people over 21 or at least 18, such as experiences that offer alcohol. We need to make the age appropriateness known up front for the benefit of both parents and people who are looking for more mature content. The annual report suggests an immersive age rating system the industry could adopt that as the beginning of that conversation. Type and definition of the work. Coming up with terminology to categorize the type and definition of the work refers to ways of explaining what we're doing. Guidelines are used as another way for audiences to understand the nature of the event or attraction. Being verbose in plain language is helpful to all audiences. Attract customers' attention with your marketing messages, but ensure that your sales funnel includes accurate descriptions of what your experience is, if it's new and innovative. The last thing creators want is to confuse or disappoint customers with improperly set expectations. If you don't tell them what you've created You never know what they might hope it is like before they even get there.
3: Size of the team and nature of funding. Lastly, it's important to make known the size of the team and the nature of funding. Many immersive experiences are independent, single-person enterprises, and we want to make sure that their work isn't being compared by customers to that of a much larger company that has millions of dollars in backing and a huge team behind it. This is like the movie industry, where there are indie films and studio films, this has nothing to do with the quality of the event or attraction, but it's setting clear expectations about what type of experience the audience should expect so they can enter with the right frame of mind. It's okay to tell audiences that a small team has created an experience, and it's encouraged to list the staff credits on your website.
4: Balance art with your guest desire to be entertained. As the immersive entertainment industry continues to find its way forward, We've seen recent additions such as immersive theater, ARGs, and LARPs. Many new areas of the industry are leaning into the art side, but mass audiences skew towards the entertainment side. We're now seeing a balance being struck between the two, as with Meow Wolf, which has put so much emphasis on the artists. However, we're also watching them struggle a little bit as they move toward more business-minded thinking and away from artist-driven mentality. This back and forth will happen for a while because innovation drives continued interest in the immersive entertainment industry, but it's financial success that fuels its growth. It doesn't matter what's art and what's entertainment. We in this industry are one. We need to give each other a break in this argument. We're seeing an emerging economy in which artists can embrace both the artistic and commercial sides if they're open to that. Being considered a sellout is a notion of the past. Today, the immersive entertainment industry is building economies on which artists don't have to be starving as long as they will engage in business practices, too.
3: Build sustainability by attracting mass audiences. Sustainability is always a huge factor in immersive entertainment, and sustainable models are still being figured out for many newer areas of the industry. For our industry to grow, experiences must become more sustainable, not just limited-run events. The key is appealing to and attracting mass audiences, not just the small groups of early adopters that already know about your event or experiences. Guests these days are expecting an experience to be focused on and tailored to the individual. This is one key to sustainability. In immersive experiences designed for intimacy and personal attention, customer satisfaction goes down as the size of the audience increases. This is a tough problem, but there are examples of productions that have nailed the formula. The immersive theater production Then She Fell has provided a leading example. This popular show allowed only 15 audience members at each performance and sold out the shows for many years, which proves it is still possible to have small audiences and be sustainable and innovative it's because of their solid system that they were able to sustain. Another strategy for sustainability is adding a hospitality factor to immersive experiences. For example, hotels like Great Wolf Resorts or Kalahari Resorts have been creating themed entertainment experiences by adding water parks and escape rooms to their properties.
4: Incorporate Technology In 2019, there were 10 different conferences that focused on immersive themes. Eight of those 10 Meeting, we're on technology such as AR and VR. More and more, the word immersive is associated with technology, and much of the funding is going into the tech side of immersive. Note that technologies such as virtual reality or augmented reality have a tremendous learning curve. To become involved, reach out to creators who understand those technologies. Right now is an excellent time for haunted attraction folks to figure out how to translate those technologies for their own purposes and to support software developers and engineers in integrating technologies we weren't thinking about before. With VR, a lot of the focus has been on gaming. And this is a great chance for the experiential entertainment side to lean into that.
3: Seek multiple funding sources for your attraction. Many entertainment industries have clear paths to funding But this has been a problem for the immersive entertainment industry for startups and small groups. This is because we haven't determined who's interested in investing in this sector. As we reach more of the mass audience and our models become more sustainable, we need to push our fundraising forward. If we look at the film industry, for example, there's an entire array of strategies for funding movies. Producers patchwork different fundraising efforts, such as equity and debt financing, government grants, hedge funds, ultra high-worth investors, tax credit buyers, or private equity firms. Films are not funded by just one source. This is one way to think about fundraising for large-scale immersive events. Another way is to look at how theaters do it. There are grants for playwrights, directors, actors, and production costs. Some producers are engaged in commission-based fundraising in which they receive a producer credit as part of that production.
4: As we move forward and see normalcy returning, now is the time to talk about funding for future growth it's likely we'll be seeing some interesting moves in terms of who comes forward to fund immersive entertainment. Investors might be people who don't have as much faith in the stock market for the foreseeable future. If we enter a recession, where else could those investments go? Well, investing in small businesses and companies that we know in time will come back is a splendid idea. We can convince people to invest in innovation and development right now by letting them know an upswing is inevitable. Fundraising isn't just happening for immersive entertainment projects in the U.S. Major funding of immersive experiences has already begun in the U.K., setting a precedent. As was mentioned at the outset of this article, we are in that early phase of our life cycle where many projects are still innovating and figuring out their sustainability model. To attract the interest of potential investors or receive grants or even generate grants for immersive projects – Investors and sponsors need to see sustainability. They need to see that these projects can be viable. It's up to us as a creator group to implement these models and show what we can achieve.
3: We are Sarah Elger and Ricky Briganti of Pseudonym Productions. You can find out more about the work we've been doing in the immersive entertainment industry on our website, questionreality.com. And you can read the most recent immersive entertainment industry annual report by visiting
0: everythingimmersive.com. Part two, all aboard. The year is 2018 and you're aboard the historic Queen Mary. Looking around the Art Deco style meeting room, you see a trio of golden onyx fireplaces and vast original artwork maroon drapes covering the walls. Ahead of you, you notice a stage, and on that stage is Robbie Laprie. Take a seat and listen to The Power of Connection by Robbie Laprie at the 2018 Seasonal Attraction Leadership Symposium.
5: Robbie is the retired director of theatrical services at Busch Gardens Tampa and is the recipient of the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Haunted Attraction Association. She has more than 40 years experience in theme park leadership experience at Busch Gardens Tampa as entertainment department director, project manager, technical director, and producer for award-winning live shows and events. Bush Gardens, Tampa's Hallow Scream event named by Haunt World magazine and Haunted Attractions magazine as one of the best haunted theme park attractions in the country. Please welcome to the stage Robbie Laprie.
6: Thank you, everyone. Well, I am from Tampa, Florida, and I am called a Tampeno. And what's a it used to be called a Tampanian. Well, it sounded more like a tampon. So <laughs> they, a friend of mine decided that they were going to rename it Tempeño as a way to acknowledge the Italian and Cuban and Spanish ancestry. Well, he now actually has a um, public access um, television show that airs every week on Tampa Natives that just reminisces about all of the things that have happened in the Tampa area. And it's really very fun. And the interesting thing about it is that when I was 12 years old, I had a crush on him because he was the star baseball picture for Little Leagues. So that's how connections begin. You start at one point, and 40 years later, you end up with another con- that connection resurfacing again. So we're going to talk today about connections. So what is a Connection. It's the relationship that we have with one another or with an idea or with an organization. I mean, that seems very rudimentary. Obviously, we all know a bit about that. We all have connections. Today. Most of us know multiple people within this room, and certainly our industries are so connected and so small that we all know one another in some capacity. Or we certainly know someone that knows someone um, that is in this room. And the idea behind that is that we all learn from one another. We all um, relate to one another in a way that makes it a special and meaningful and memorable experience. So, obviously, our connections are with groups or with individuals. So, as groups could be organizations, agencies, all of the um, conglomerates or um, corporations. It could be any kind of charity event or anything like that. We all connect in some way to organizations and groups. Then, of course, we have our individual connections. So, those are acquaintances and our, our customers are... Um, partners, our collaborators individually, and certainly our, you know, our relatives, our friends, our acquaintances, all of those people, those are the connected people that we are connecting with on a regular basis. So let's talk about the three ways in which we connect. The first, of course, is synchronized moments. Um, what's a synchronized moment? That's a big moment that we um, that we all share together as a group. We all know that could be anything from the finale at the end of a show. Um, it could be the, um, you're at a wedding ceremony or a graduation ceremony, all of those synchronized moments. But when we design for Connection experiences, designing in a synchronized moment becomes very important because it's what's going to be memorable as a group. We all remember the flash mob. We all remember the experiences of when there's a time where everyone is together experiencing it at the same time. Those are coordinated events. Usually when you're having a synchronized moment, it's something that's planned or something if it is expected you want people to be able to gather together and connect with one another. So those are things that are in time, in step together. we want to be able to orchestrate those and orchestrate them in a way that makes it memorable for the people that are attending. So that's why they tend to be more ritualistic. That's why they tend to be something that is bigger and broader and and better than you may have experienced individually. Um, and not that everybody's going to see it from the exact same perspective, but you are going to experience that, that moment as a group in a a synchronized time period. That is the first beginning of Of any kind of connection, Um, when you're trying to design for a memorable experience in an attraction, it's to have that. That could be getting your information at the you know front of your queue line. That could be instructions that you're getting before you board a ride vehicle, or you know it could be the pre-show of a beginning of you know an entertainment experience. But when you have that kind of thing that people are experiencing together, it and by making it memorable in a way that allows people to really um, connect with that, it makes it something special and that they will take back with them. So what are the other kinds of experiences in unison that we can, we can utilize? Well, it's obviously, as you've got more than two people in a group, it's allowing them to connect. Okay, the second component of Connecting is shared struggle, so what are we talking about when we say that it's a shared struggle? You know, you go into an escape room, together you are experiencing that attraction. You have a synchronized moment because you went into it as a group, you got your instructions, you were told what to do, you you understood the challenge, but then as you moved into the synchronized, you moved out of the synchronized moment, and you're in that shared struggle. And what are those things? The challenges that you're going to do, you're dividing up into the group, the scavenger hunts, That we're doing today are all shared struggles, a shared challenge that we're trying to attack. Um, A good example for, for me in a shared struggle is a few years back, we had a team building session and we had gone to Sleuth's Dinner Theater. It's a mystery dinner theater in Orlando. And it was a group of my team members and we were sitting at a table and we had experienced the first course, all of the entertainment is divided by course. And we had you know, experienced the first course. And I noticed the person sitting behind me all of a sudden was acting a little odd. And before I knew it, it was an older gentleman. He was face forward into his salad plate. And my team is so reactionary, you know, we all literally jumped up and immediately took care of the situation. You know, I called 911, somebody else helped the gentleman onto the floor. We, you know, moved the tables and chairs out of the way. We went and met the EMTs at the door and were able to bring them in, get the the gentleman on the stretcher and get him out all within a period of less than six minutes, and it show went on immediately after that because we moved our table back into place everything went along as as we planned um for the rest of the evening and the management team just could not believe that we were able to do that that it really didn't interrupt the you know the flow of the night and that it was taken care of and you know they actually rewarded us with free gift certificates to come back to the you know, to the attraction because my team didn't know anything but how to react in a situation like that. Um, so that was a shared struggle that we were able to experience and make something that was memorable for the rest of you know, our team, but also the rest of the audience, because every single person on the way out complimented us on that. And I'm sure that made a big difference, not only for the gentleman that was ill, but also for the people that had been there that night. So teams and individuals band together in their shared struggles. As you are developing attractions or developing components of the attraction, building in that opportunity to design for something that challenges them, that helps them to work together as a group towards a common goal, towards a common endpoint. In a haunted house, that's a natural thing to do, but certainly any kind of attraction or show that you're doing, having that shared struggle helps you connect with the the guest to the attraction, the guest to one another, the guest to um, the experience that they are they're going through. So the third component of that is connecting to meaning. So when we connect people to the meaning of what it is that they're doing, it makes such an impact because when it's something that's personal it allows you to understand and empathize and um, relate to that person in a way that allows you to connect more meaningfully. A good example of that, I know that one that, um, is, that Philip used in the book was when nurses would prepare the, the packages of first aid goods and they met the patients. So once they were able to meet the patients and understand the concerns, when they were packing first aid kits, they were doing it more efficiently and more effectively because they connected to the meaning of why they were doing it. Um, the other day I was watching our local television show and they do a Good Day Tampa Bay segment. And when they, they had gone to Shriners Hospital, which is in Tampa near USF, and Shriners does some incredible work, and they were opening a brand new suite for children. It happened to be a pirate themed. And because it was the opening day of that, they had, they had done the new, um, waiting area and, um, and treatment rooms as a pirate theme. And what they were able to do was to bring the Shriners in as, as part of Um, the opening day ceremonies of that and then had a lot of the children come in and and be able to to do that. But what they were, the second thing they were able to do is following that is that they took the Shriners and took them into the orthopedic ward and they showed them how they were able to um, manufacture the prosthetics. So all of the components for limbs, arms, and legs. And the same thing that we do in the entertainment industry when we're building, you know, all of our partial arms and partial legs and that for, for the haunts, they, you know, molding processes, positive and negatives, and pouring latex and pouring foam molds. And then they used 3D printers and they were able to take, you know, high polymer plastics and mold them to those with, specific things like Star Wars or unicorns or things that would be interesting to children. Um, they could do any kind of vacuum form along those, those parts so that it made them, you know, feel more comfortable with their prosthetics. But those Shriners came in and they saw that process and they saw all the steps that it went through and they saw the look on the children's faces as they were getting fit with that. And that really connected... With them, and they knew what it was and why it was that they were doing, because they understood that meaning so well. So, when you connect through purpose and you connect people for why that you're doing something, it really makes an impression and it makes it memorable because people remember the why way before they'll remember exactly what what took place. So, when we design for um, understanding the what it is that you're doing there, who your audience is and why they're doing it, it adds value to that relationship and it allows us to take those ideas and to take those experiences and make them stronger through that. And it helps us to create that bond through that explanation. So what are some of the responsive interactions that we have? When we have um, interactions um, and our connections, we're, we're able to take any a two-way street. It's receptive. It's moving back and forth. We need to make sure when we're designing for that that there's always a give and a take. When we're doing, obviously, immersive opportunities, it's not just what we're putting out there in the design and everything that we're presenting to our clients or our customers. Um, it's also what it is that they're able to involve themselves in and what is the takeaway for them. Uh, that is a really key for the memorability of it all. And we must be open. And, and feel free to, um, be approachable at all times. A lot of times we can be intimidating with some of the things that people don't understand if we're not explaining them clearly, especially when we're giving instructions or directions in, a, in an attraction. A lot of times people get so bogged down in those, especially in haunted houses, with all the things you can't do, it really helps to um, take you out of that experience. So when you can involve them in a way that they understand those directions and they understand what it is that you want to do and doing it in a way that makes it work within the storyline, and making that part of the storytelling process, it really helps to get the response that you are looking for from your audience. One of the most important things with connections is feeling heard and and having that ability to feel valued for that. And when we're designing for those types of elements, A lot of times we don't give the opportunity for feedback um, within the attraction. So through that immersive thing, immersive opportunities and getting involved in that, it really makes a difference if people have an opportunity to have some kind of response. Even if it's after going through the attraction, um, anytime that they have an opportunity to do that, that kind of responsive interaction helps to build and, and formulate that connection in a way that is stronger. We need to relate and and reflect on the emotions. So much of the time, we take emotions out of the equation. Not so much in live entertainment, but when we're dealing with, with people, we tend to become very businesslike, and we take emotions out of that, and we're afraid to name those emotions. And sometimes by naming those emotions, we are able to understand better that what you thought was frustration or anger was actually frustration or what you thought your audience was thinking about one thing was a totally different emotion. Um, You know, when somebody is is screaming like crazy, you want them to do that in a haunted house, obviously, but when somebody is then screaming to the point where they're crying or peeing themselves or think, we know you've gone too far. And you know, you have to understand and, and that emotion when somebody is truly terrified and when somebody is, is simply having fun being scared. The same thing, there's such a close relationship between humor and, and, um, terror. I know when I go through a haunted house, you know, I'm initially scared to death and I'm going to scream, but I'm going to immediately turn to laughter, mostly because I am laughing at myself for being scared by it. But, I always wanted our team members to scare the heck out of me. I knew they were doing their job when they did that. A lot of people, they're like, oh, I get used to that. I don't want to ever get used to that. I want to be in the position of, of you know, credibility from them providing me that scare. I want them to know that they can scare me, that they've done their job well. And it's a badge of honor if they've scared me. And I, you know, I don't get upset when they say, hey, I scared you. And it's like, good for you. You did your job. I'm, that makes me very happy that you that you did that. We want to reward those things. But by naming the emotions that we have and as we're designing for that, if you want them to experience a certain emotion, be very clear as to what it is that you're looking for and what it is that you're trying to um, make sure is the they're experiencing. The idea behind um, naming emotions is when you're dealing one-on-one with people, you want to be able to be clear and understand that you are talking on the same page and that you're experiencing that together. In summary, let's talk about connection and the three components of that. With synchronized moment, shared struggle, and connecting to meaning. A couple of other examples that I'd like to share with you are, you know, uh, for over 20 years, I did a telethon uh, that was actually for another hospital, for All Children's Hospital. And one of the things that we, it raised more money than any other um, telethon for the Children's Miracle Network in the U.S. It was the largest of the, of the telethons. And that was certainly a shared struggle for that. But one of the organizers of that was a composer. Uh, That was what he came from to begin with. And every year there was a new theme. And, you know, one of the very first things that was developed was the theme for that because that's what the marketing and branding campaign was going to be built on. Um, And a lot of the graphics and all of the things that everybody was going to come together on. So the very first meeting was Joel sharing that piece of music and that jingle for that year's telethon. And I would keep them. I still have those for over 20 years of that. And they were always heartwarming because it was something that, you know, really, you really connected to because you were doing Connected to Meaning because you were doing this for critically ill children. You were raising money for this hospital to provide services um, of every variety. And as a mother, you connected because that could possibly be your child one day and or children of your friends or your family. So you wanted to make sure that what you were working on was know was going to raise as much money as possible but it was a shared struggle because it's very difficult to put a telethon on and those connections remain not just with the people that worked on it but so many of the kids that experienced that when they were younger or they had to take advantage of um, that because if they were ill now their children may have been involved in that as well so very memorable Mutual interests and commonalities for that. Um, there's a quote here from Bren Brown um, on connection, and I think that it really makes an, a big impact because it's talking about the you know, how valued you are when you feel heard and that you feel listened to and that um, that your validation for that and that there's a vulnerability that you're sharing with one another. It helps to build those connections.
7: Part
0: 3, Lessons Learned. To make the dedication issue for the magazine, I asked Robbie's network to tell me what they learned from her. And here is what they said.
2: Robbie was one of the best mentors, friends, and people in the world at large, and especially in the haunt community. I learned from her to help everyone and listen to everyone that you come across in the theme park community and in life. I've never known a person other than Robbie who had the extensive network of talented professionals that she had. She had either helped them at one point in their career or had worked with them on countless projects. She saw the value of every hello and opportunity to meld creative minds together to make amazing projects come to life. Robbie never had one bit of ego and always led by example. I saw her countless times take little or no credit for the work she had done and pass the credit onto her teams and co-workers. I only hope I can continue her legacy by operating as she did, by helping and working with all that seek it from me in the entertainment industry. Alex Crow,
5: I was late to the party. Robbie Laprie and I met on the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California at the 2018 Seasonal Entertainment Leadership Symposium. While I was an unfamiliar name to her, I had certainly known about Robbie. I had heard more than just about her latest highlights within the industry. I truly knew Robbie through the people she encouraged, educated, inspired, and deeply impacted. I didn't realize my own creative life had already been touched by her presence the many people that she had mentored through the years had become my collaborators in the present. Those who gave me guidance and inspiration were simply passing her magic forward. I was excited and a little intimidated to finally meet the infamous Robbie Laprie on the Queen Mary. Yet she approached me in her humble, yet generously unassuming manner. I found myself fully disarmed, talking comfortably and fluently, and greatly enjoyed our conversations. In our very brief friendship... I got to know that kind, creative, seasoned wisdom with spirited exchanges, of course, that we all know to be Robbie's trademark. While I regret having been so late to the party, I come away feeling very blessed to have made it at all. Hi, this is David Rizica, and my memory comes
3: from a balmy October evening in 2010 when Robbie and Scott Swenson were our gracious hosts at Hollow That is, me and my haunt parents, Jeannie and Leonard Pickle. I will never forget that in addition to running an amazing event, Robbie was with us for the night, guide, mentor, friend. It was astounding that she could keep an eye on the event while also taking care of us. Even though I didn't know her incredibly well at the time, Robbie was the kind of person that remembered everybody and truly, truly cared about everybody. She and Scott have made a deep impact on me, both creatively and professionally. Sometimes it's the people who'd never expect anybody to look up to them that you look up to most of all. So thank you, Robbie. You will be profoundly missed.
2: I had the fortune of meeting Robbie in early February 2018, just a few days after the famous Robbie Ween event. I just learned of her extensive knowledge of theme parks and had seen much information about her online in a couple of Halloween Facebook groups. So, I figured she might be able to steer me in the right direction if I told her of my Southeast Halloween Enthusiast Convention, or SeaHack for July 2018. When we spoke, I asked if she might know of some presenters who might be interested in participating in a theme park haunt discussion panel. She immediately gave me names of talented speakers with whom she was familiar. She offered to contact them and even to moderate the panel discussion herself. Robbie was certainly true to her words, and obtained several talented speakers who shared our love of all things Halloween. Soon after we talked, she realized that I was an eye doctor and she had been having issues with her vision. Robbie stated that she was frustrated with trying to explain what it was she was seeing in her blurred vision. She then wanted to develop a smartphone app that would let a patient select images of what he or she saw and then be able to share that with their eye doctor. What a great concept! I told her that I would be happy to help her and direct her as she came up with ideas to enable this image-based, interactive, patient-based software. It had good merits, and I thought it was worthy of development. Sadly, her health issues seemed to interfere with her plans. We only talked a couple of times as her idea was overshadowed by her progressive, significant health issues. I will never forget Robbie's pleasant demeanor, tremendous kindness, and her can-do attitude. She will be missed by a multitude of Halloween fans. Dr. William Ramsey, producer, Southeast Halloween Enthusiast Convention, Fruitland Park, Florida.
8: This is Martin Palicki with In Park Magazine. I had not seen Robbie LaPrey for many years when I ran into her at the 2018 IAPA Expo in Orlando while I was taking photos for the Themed Entertainment Association. Even though we had not really been good about keeping in touch, Robbie remembered me right away with a warm smile and hug. We had first met back in 2012 when she was entertainment director at Busch Gardens in Tampa. I was working on a story about the projection mapping used in the park's new ice skating show. Being an ice skater, a Zamboni driver, and a big theme park fan, I had a barrage of technical questions for her. She suffered gladly through all of them. Robbie's contributions to the industry are many, and in addition to them, I will remember her kindness, her smile, and her helpfulness.
6: Hi, this is Samantha Grimaldi from the HauntCon
4: team, and we just want to say thank you so much to Robbie for being a part of the HauntCon family and all of the lessons that she shared with our Haunt family over the years.
2: It is rare to meet a person that always puts others first, always wants to know what you are doing, and willing to help you in any way. Such a person was Robbie parsons Lepre, Even when her health was failing her, she was trying to start a nonprofit to help people with the same issues, to help them through what she was experiencing. She was a fighter, and even as her sight started failing, her mobility became limited, she was always positive and looking forward to the next day. It makes me strive to be more like her every day. Leonard Pickle
8: Hi, this is Todd Hoagland from Ripley's Entertainment Headquarters in Orlando, Florida. I had the great fortune to know Robbie for many years and became directly involved in IAPA because she asked me to join the entertainment committee while I was still working in Hong Kong. She had a great impact on all of us in the theme park and Halloween industry. Robbie was the epitome of a giver. She would give her time, her knowledge, her experience, and most importantly, her friendship. I got to know Robbie from a distance. I was leading a team in Ocean Park in Hong Kong, and we were expanding the Halloween event there. And some of the Bush Entertainment team came to visit us back in 2006 to see what we were doing. Unfortunately, Robbie was not part of the trip. But because of this relationship, we started exchanging information, and she was extremely interested in how Halloween was being received in Asia. Robbie was one of those instant industry friends. When I had the opportunity to bring some of my local Hong Kong team to the U.S. to experience the big theme parks and the big Halloween events, Robbie was first to give us assistance. She made sure we got to enjoy as much of her park and as much of her Halloween event as possible. That's just who she was. She always wanted to help and offer whatever she could. While we're working with Robbie on the IAP Entertainment Committee, I saw this giving play out time and time again. She was passionate about the themed entertainment industry and live shows especially. A key mantra you would hear from Robbie. While we may work for different companies, all of us are in this industry and it behooves us to support and learn from one another. I think that's especially true as we all go through this challenging time in 2020. We'll miss you, Robbie. Thank you.
7: This is Ray Keim. It's difficult to separate Robbie's influence on me and my career by speaking strictly of her professionalism without also speaking of her kindness and her concern. In my first several years working in the Central Florida entertainment industry, Robbie's name would pop up in conversations. Generally, I would hear, do you know Robbie? Everyone knows Robbie. Everyone loves Robbie. When I finally met Robbie, I... think it was at an IAPA mixer, I was stunned to learn that she already knew who I was and she knew I was between contracts. And I left that mixer with a new contract as a show set designer and also had a new dear friend. Robbie's style was direct and honest. Everyone says she was a force of nature. She didn't mince words, but she was also never dismissive or insensitive. She had a wealth of experience, and every time I met with Robbie, I learned something new. It became a fantastic badge of honor to become one of those who could say, Do you know Robbie? Everyone knows Robbie, and everyone loves her. And I'll forever be grateful to Robbie and her friendship and the boost she gave me in my career. Part four. Robbie Ween. For
0: the final part of this Thanksgiving tribute, let's go to Robbie Ween at the Winter Garden Theater. Robbie Ween was a fundraiser to help cover Robbie's medical expenses, and here are some of the best stories that I heard that day.
9: My name is Tom Geherty. I'm the Director of Innovation and Technology for Universal Creative. I've known Robbie for 35 years, and we met before I came to Florida. I worked with her for many, many years, off and on, at multiple parks through Anheuser-Busch, and she's been wonderful to me and my family, and it's time to give some back. This is like a typical Robbie story. So I've been in Florida. I move up to Pennsylvania. I want to come back and find a job in Florida. Really don't have a whole heck of a lot of money. Young couple, infant, two Pomeranians. And I say, Robbie, I'm thinking about coming out. She's like, stay at my house. I said, but you have children and dogs too. She's like, if you don't mind one bedroom for the five of you, stay in my house. So I came to Florida. I, like, who does that? So I came to Florida with my young wife and my son and our two dogs, and we stayed at her house, and I found a job at Universal, and she's helped out people's career like that over and over and over. Tell me how you were feeling when you went through that. Uh, amazingly relieved because I was trying to take a big step with a young family, and like the option was to stay in some you know, cheap motel, or not come. And I said, look, I, I, I'm already driving, I'm paying for the gas, I'm paying for the food, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. And she's like, then just stay here, and we'll cook dinner. So I, I felt relieved, I felt cared for and loved by somebody, in, in, which I think is a great industry for us, but not everybody's like that. Uh, so it, it was very heartwarming to have somebody care enough and it wasn't even to come back to Bush. It was just to do interviews with Disney and Universal and SeaWorld and Bush. And she was just opened her doors. So it was wonderful. So we're just here to support her in any way we can. And we have a great crowd of people that are going to do their behind-the-scenes stories on the panels. We have amazing things that people have either custom-made, pull out of their closets, or, or, or volunteered their time. And we're hoping to make as much
10: money as we possibly can for her. Mike Wallace, creative director for Falcon's Creative Group. Uh, Anybody who's not Imagineering and Universal, we do their design. (laughs) I'm just here for Robbie and excited to see what we talk about. Robbie and I met because of these events, because of our designer forums. I had never done any work for Busch Gardens, had never heard of Robbie prior to that. I was a very young, kind of first and second year designer when we started these events. And Robbie was the one who actually kind of approached me and wanted to get to know what I was doing in the industry and approach me more from a fan's point of view than from anything else. And knowing that somebody at her level, with her level of experience, was interested in what the new young kid was going to go do was incredible to me. So it wasn't until after that that Kim Graham walked up to me and said, hey, you know, what have you and Robbie talked about? I was like, oh, we were just talking about you know the industry in general and what I was doing for universal art and design and whatnot. And she's like, oh, well, have you ever worked with Robbie before? I'm like, what do you mean work with Robbie? It's like, "Oh, Robbie does like all of entertainment for for Bush Gardens." I'm like, "Huh? huh I got to go hunt her down afterwards." I'm like, "Here's my resume. Here's my portfolio. <laughs> Can we work together in the future?" That was that was day 1, I think of me meeting Robbie. <clears throat> to me, knowing that somebody who had that level of experience and that level of exposure to the industry was still as excited about doing what we do gave me hope for the future of my career knowing that I wasn't going to be burnt out in three to four years. I wasn't going to be looking for the next thing. It was going to be, here's something that I can do that, yeah, it's the same job, it's the same position, but year after year, project after project, it's going to be different enough to keep me interested. Um, Boredom is something to avoid, so busy rather than bored was the mentality, I think, that came out of that. It's like, all right, whatever we can do, whatever the next cool thing is, she still had that fire after 15, 20 years in the industry, which a year or two into mine, I'm like, all right, yeah, I could, I could be there when I'm where she is.
11: Hi, I'm Cindy White. I'm an attractions uh, designer and illustrator, and I've worked in the industry for about 35 years.
0: What's on your mind right now?
11: Um, raising money for Robbie Laprie. that's it. That's all that's on my mind right now, that's it. Because I love Robbie, and she's given so much to the attractions industry, the haunt industry, And gotten so many people started Uh, she was my first contact point when I started designing shows at Busch Gardens and uh, I'm I'm one of thousands of people that in a wonderful way owes Robbie a big you know thank you so that's why we're all here Robbie LaPrie and I are about 10 days apart in age we're both girls from Tampa we both started as techs at theme parks and I I feel very sisterly towards Robbie for that reason. So I mean, it's more than just she's a wonderful peer. Um, it's just that when we first met, it was like, oh my God, you too! Oh my God, you too! You oh, ah! it was um, it was a you know it was my my twin sister of a different mother kind of experience. So,
0: and so, what, what was it like interacting with Robbie in those settings?
11: I guess the thing that was so shocking was you realizing how much, and I'm not going to say control, but how how everybody relied on Robbie. She was the point person for so many aspects of entertainment and attractions. You know, she was the one you went to for everything you needed technical, for the design, for, you know, where the actors were supposed to be, what things were supposed to look like. Um, she was, you know, just a real guiding light for the whole part. I've learned um, how much work Kim Grommel goes through every year when he puts on the Entertainment Designers Forum. I just interviewed because, you. Well, yeah, you did, because um, when I was reading Robbie's posts about, you know, what she was going through, and I sent an email to Kim and said, "Kim, I'm just so, you know, frustrated and angry and, and want to help, and but I don't know what to do. And you've done this a million times." And he said, "Oh, this is easy. Let's do it." So, that's what I've learned is that it's not easy, um, but if you if you've done it before, as you know, as Kim has done, you can pull one of these auctions together. And we all know a lot of people, so that helped.
12: My name is Kim Grummel. I'm a designer and illustrator. I do uh, right now. I'm working for Universal Creative. And we are working on a park in Beijing, China. I helped with four other people to set up Robbie Wien. And I have a forum for the American Cancer Society every spring uh, for the last eight years, the Entertainment Designer Forum. That's my forum. And uh, we put this together. And some of my friends who have been on that panel, actually every one of the group that put this together, Robbie Wien together, myself and Cindy White, Ray Kime, then Scott, And uh, then uh, Tom Garrity and then Brian Morrow all kind of jumped in and uh, put this together. My second forum, Robbie was on the panel. Robbie's been on three of my panels, including last year I had a panel that was women in the entertainment industry. She was on that panel. But my second panel, uh, each panelist would say, oh, this is who I am, here's my name, here's what I do, and here's a little story about myself. And Robbie's story was, well, I've been at bush gardens for x amount of years and i love hollow scream and i love haunts and i've always loved halloween and actually and and i i don't remember the particulars but it went something like this when i was 11 me and my sister went uh, trick-or-treating and this kid wanted my candy and he knifed me and took my candy and we're all like what (laughs) he and then ray kine was next and Ray, ray was like how do i follow that how do i follow i got knifed for my halloween candy you know Robbie has come to every forum either as a panelist or as a guest and she's just like the sweetest person in the world is always there for you you ask her for something she does it and uh I I I, as soon as we said let's do something for Robbie I'm like I'm on board let's let's get this done I've run the forum myself for the last five years so I'm kind of a one-man show and when you run something with a bunch of people it's different (laughs) but um everybody kind of jumped in most people jumped right in and helped out and some people were really um, completely out of the board out of those five people six people I told you about Scott drove out here from Tampa every time we had a meeting practically everyone um, came out here to this theater to do our first walk through to say yeah this will work this this is good so um, uh, I learned uh, sometimes it's easy to do it yourself but sometimes when you got some friends, you know, lean on me kind of thing, you know, so that, that worked. Uh, and I've learned that, look at the amount of people here. There's what, 150 people here? The love for Robbie, you know, you, you, we, we, put out that, you know, Hey, Robbie needs help. And man, there are people I'm looking right now at Eileen and Mary. They flew in from, from Chicago to help out. They know they donated uh, $500 for one of the uh, auction items. So, um, yeah, uh, I look around the room and it's, uh, it's it's a love fest for Robbie, and for every person that's here, there's somebody that couldn't make it. My daughter loves Robbie, but she's uh, she's doing a charity event for Universal Creative t- today and has to be there from noon on. Uh, so there, for every person that's here, there are people who would have loved to have been here and can't make it. But it's just it's a uh, it's a big love fest. My name is Quan Gan. I'm the owner of Gantam Lighting and Controls. Are you serious?
13: Are
0: I'm we really doing this? We're doing this. What's on your mind right now?
13: I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be here because it's a very rare event where everybody just comes together and uh, wants to really support one single cause. It's really, really good. In the very beginning of Gantam, I think we were still darklight back then. Charlie and I were on the road traveling to see all the different theme parks around the country, theme parks and haunted houses. And we had barely known Robbie then. And she she took us around the park as if we have known her for a very, very long time and spent the whole evening with us taking us to all the different attractions. And so she has from from that moment on we we knew she she's always got a very open personality. She just immediately we became friends. I think I'm just astonished because you know, we were we were nobody. Nobody knew who we were, um, and here we are in a, a major, major theme park, and the person who is leading the operations for all of their Halloween events is actually talking to us, and that just gave us a, a tremendous amount of encouragement, and we've also seen how we can help them with, you know, what we do, so it it really gave us a lot of energy to go forward, and. You know we want to reciprocate that to all the other people that we see and be able to always be open to people so so the feeling I I got was encouragement we love Robbie and I came out here knowing about this event uh, flew across country my wife and child could not make it because you know they're they're at home but they they send Robbie their love and best wishes
0: Today's special was produced by me, Philip Hernandez, and made possible by support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Post-production and mixing by David Swope. Intro music by Chris Thomas. In part one, Remembering Robbie, Lessons Learned from a Reluctant Haunter, was written and performed by Scott Swenson. Lepree-isms was written by Jeremy Pancoast and performed by Donald Kinsley. The Future of Immersive Entertainment in the Post-Pandemic World was written and performed by Ricky Brigante and Sarah Elger. Part two, the audio for this part was taken from our 2018 event, the Seasonal Attraction Leadership Symposium. Contributors for part three are Alex Crow, Chris Thomas, David Ruzeka, Dr. William Ramsey, Martin Pilicki, Todd Hoagland, Samantha Grimaldi, Ray Clime, Leonard Pickle, and Donald Kinsley. In part four, we heard from Cindy White, Kim Grommel, Mike Wallace, Tom Garrity, and Quan Gan. Thank you for listening, and please share this with one of your connections. And Robbie, I'm thankful to have known you, and I miss you, but the impact you made inspires me. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land, to Hagrid's bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Luis Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.